Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. We're going to continue this morning in our series, uh, My Neighbor's Keeper. You know, what prompted this series has been the divisive nature that we have seen in our country and throughout the world, where there is so much conflict among people. And it seems to be escalating. It escalates racially. It escalates politically. It escalates nationally. And there are so many things that are wrong that if we don't work together, we're going to have a very difficult time making things right. You know, this week we heard the news about... 17 people being killed in Florida at the school, 14 students, three faculty members. And immediately there is a blasting of what's wrong at the opposition of the other. You know, oh, it's guns. Oh, it's lack of prayer in school. It's everyone's throwing these things out and it's oversimplification at best of what the problems are. They will not be solved easily. They are going to require engagement. They are going to require a conversation that's deep. It's going to require us stepping into difficult places with other people to have difficult conversations about things we don't fully understand so that we can actually explore ways to bring healing to people, and to our nation. And so that's why this series has come about. My Neighbor's Keeper is something that we have to recognize as followers of Jesus. We are taking on his mantle. We are to be as he was in this world. And we saw not too long ago, as we talked about a series on Together, as we looked even at the others, how that Good Samaritan exposed the hypocrisy of both the religious and the racial prejudices that can exist and do exist. They exist in churches as well as in stories. And we have to move past those things if we're going to bring healing. And we are the ones who should do that. We are the ones who should take the difficult questions and the difficult topics and step into them because we are the ones who care more about others than we do ourselves. 
or I guess maybe that could be a question, do we care more about others than we do ourselves? And so this morning, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9 and kind of go back to the beginning of where it starts. And First, I'm going to pause and pray as well. Lord, I do ask that you would open our hearts to what you would communicate to us this morning. Father, you have called us to be a light to this world, salt to this earth. You have asked us to be a city on a hill that cannot be hid, a light that has to shine, Lord. And I pray that we would not shrink back from what you have called us to do. And Lord, you've called us to do all these things with your love, with your grace. And Lord, we need that. We need your wisdom. We need patience. We need your heart so that we can move forward in a healthy way. And I pray you would help us to do so, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, which means Adam made love to his wife. Just want to pause and let everyone be uncomfortable with that, okay? And she conceived and bore Cain. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will not you be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? We haven't gotten very far in the story of mankind. We're only in chapter four, and we see incredible dysfunction taking place. We don't know exactly why God did not accept Cain's offering. It could be that God is not a vegan after all. And so that's a joke. Most likely, it's not regarding whether it was an animal sacrifice or a grain sacrifice. Most likely, it has to do with the attitude of Cain. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? So apparently, something was not well, and it's obvious something was not well because of this, Cain killed his brother Abel. And we see here not only that Cain's relationship is destroyed with Abel, but Cain becomes autonomous. In other words, he has no regard for his brother. What's about his brother? It all becomes about himself. And really we see that this is a furthering of what took place in the last chapter. 
right? What, what is the whole idea of Adam and Eve making that choice? They're choosing to be like God, able to discern good and evil. We're able to decide for ourselves what is best for ourselves. It is this autonomy where I am the one who makes my own rules. I don't listen or go by whatever you say. It's about what I want, and that becomes what I do. And so this autonomy is really at the foundation of what's taking place with Adam, with Eve, even here with Cain and Abel. There is a disregard of others. He separated himself from Abel's story, from his well-being, from his family, from all that mattered to him. That was meaningless because all that mattered is what mattered to Cain. And you see, sin at its core is self-love. It is just caring about ourself over others and over God. It is missing the intention of what we are supposed to be, which is created in God's image, which cares about God and cares about others. And self-love leads to destructive behavior in ourself, but it also leads into destructive behavior in our relationships. Self-love is consuming. It only cares about what it can feed on. And everyone else gets put in a category other than. And that's what we see here at the very beginning. This is the launching point, really, from Cain. We have systems, we have structures, we have political systems that will develop. We're going to see the line of Seth and the line of Cain kind of diverge here. And we're going to see, you know, a, a tower of Babel that's going to ascend up to God. And we see from this point, really, a, a, a posture that is moving in a place where it is very self-focused about how we can produce for ourselves, how we can be self-sufficient how we don't need others, how we don't need God's help. We just can provide these things for ourselves. And it's all beginning here with this self-love, this kind of self-absorption that doesn't consider the other. And when Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? It's like, am I supposed to be in charge of him? And the unanswered response to that question is yes. It should be obvious. He's your brother. You should take care of him. At this point, as things diverge, we start to see that really whoever takes the dominant story gets to shape the outcome. The one who is strongest starts to decide how things are going to look. It happened then and it happens today. Whoever has power sets the agenda, creates the news, controls the media, controls how things are presented. Why? Because the power is taking control of these kinds of things. And we start to recognize that this diversity that we're seeing here between Cain and Abel that is going to spread between their lineages as it goes on is something that has continued to this point in this day. We are so diverse. And how much 
of that diversity would justify in the violence that has taken place, right? We recently discovered the human genome. In the human genome, we have discovered that 95.5 to 95 or 99.9% of us are the same. That's the biggest difference is 99.5% is the difference between whatever person on whatever place in the planet and you, that's the greatest difference. It would be you are 99.5% the same. I'd see you go to Vegas with those odds, right? You'd clean up. But here in our cultures and in our inner relationships with one another, that minute difference has led to genocide of millions of people just because of race. Just because someone is Armenian. Just because someone is from a different tribe, the Hutus and the Tutsis. Up to a million people are killed just because they didn't belong to the right tribe. You could look at them and say, I don't see a difference. It all just becomes a part of their identity, even though percentage-wise, they are so, so much alike and so little difference. It is the attitude, the autonomy that causes the violence against because you are not just like me. I am going to oppose that because it does not please me. I will put it in another category that I can now judge whether it's the Holocaust, whether it's the things that happened throughout the world, there's been so many people killed just because of their race. And violence continues even in our country because of race and those differences. And, and it's interesting because we know that there is difference. They're obvious. We can see them but we don't recognize the similarities. We, we don't understand how close we really are. We, we don't understand how much like brothers, how much like family we are with everybody in the world. There was a video that came out a, a couple of years ago that really touched me. It was called The DNA Project. And I wanted to show it for you guys just a little bit before we go on. A great reminder of we are closer than we realize to the people around us and where we have countries and borders that divide us, we are not that far apart. And the things that have separated us is this attitude, this autonomy that wants to see ourselves unique and special. More than that, see ourselves in contrast to others. And these are the kinds of things that we have to confront if we are going to overcome the prejudices that are there, these are the kinds of things that we have to step into and recognize are a part of our thinking so that we can change the way we think so that we can change the world. Remember, we've been talking about if we want to make a difference, we have to be different. And so we have to think of ourselves differently. And we have to recognize that we do not stand by ourselves you know, there was a declaration called the Marrakesh Declaration, and this took place in January 
of 2016, more than 250 Muslim religious leaders, heads of state and scholars championed the right for religious minorities to exist in predominantly Muslim countries. How many of you knew about that? None of you knew that the Marrakesh Declaration pushed by Muslims to help minorities like Christians and Jews in Muslim countries have the right to exist. You see, we have a mindset, at least I do. I see the movies or TVs, and if I think of Arab nations, they're almost always terrorists, or now they're always people who were thought to be terrorists who aren't terrorists, right? That's the new spin on it. Oh, we thought he was a terrorist, but he's really a nice guy. But it's always put in that kind of light where you see them in this role. And yet here is a a whole group of people in Morocco that said, no, we're going to push for this agenda. Now, there's a lot of issues, right? It's not going to happen that easy, but we don't even hear about this. This was publicized in the Arab nations. They were on the news. A pastor from Oregon this last year went to another conference where he was there with the different rabbis and different... uh, people from the uh, Muslim faith, and they all met together in Morocco, and it was televised all throughout the Arab world. We didn't see it in Western media. It wasn't proclaimed. It's not a part of our story, and we don't put this out there, but it exists. And we need to recognize these things. This was something that we need to change our concept of how we see. Of course, there's radical Islam terrorists. There's radical Christian terrorists who bomb abortion clinics, right? There is radical Hindus. There's radical people, but we don't all just have to be against the radicals. There's other people that we need to actually converse with and talk with and see in a light that is different. To see as our neighbors, to see as our brothers, to see as people that we are closer to than we would care to acknowledge maybe. Because then it would force us into a relationship that is more important. This autonomous sin enables us to stand back and say, am I my neighbor's keeper? Am I responsible for them? It's their fault. It's their country. It's what's going on with them. Am I my neighbor's keeper? You see, it's easy for that question to develop momentum when we become segregated in some way. If we don't see ourselves as human. And remember, it was the intention of Christ to create one new humanity in Christ. Think of the emotions you feel when someone is family, someone is your relative, someone who is close to you, is in trouble. Hey, they're family. Isn't that the whole story of the Good Samaritan? Think of the emotion you feel when you hear about an undocumented, undocumented person. Okay, you have an emotion. Think of that same emotion when you hear the words illegal alien. See, it's the same person, but our words start to create a mindset. How do you feel about that person? Well, if it's an illegal alien, it puts them in a category where I don't have to deal with them as my brother's keeper. 
But what happens if that illegal alien is your next door neighbor? Is that person who your kids go to school with and play ball with? What if you know that person? What if you know their story? What if you are with them? You see, the beauty of what Jesus does is he takes these categories and he breaks them down to the individuals. And so we don't just have people who are disabled. No, we have AJ. We have Shannon, and they're part of our community. You see, it's not a category. It's a human being. And it's not just a person of Mexican descent. It's Gabe. He's my friend. I've gone to Mexico with him. You see, and when you start putting names to the people, you start breaking down the stereotypes that we build, the anonymous things, the autonomous things that we try to hold on to. And Jesus is trying to put a name to every person so that you can no longer become autonomous. That we start to move into a better world. What do we do when we see this fracturing, this passive, sometimes violent autonomy? How do we deal with it? Jesus institutes a great reversal in John 17, verses 20 through 23. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That would be us. Here's the prayer that all of them may be one. All of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is Jesus's prayer for complete unity. This isn't just for the Jewish people. This isn't just for the disciples. This is for all those who will hear of who he is. And by this, everyone is going to know that they are my disciples because of this unity they have. What an incredible thing to have people who differ in so many areas. We've got Republicans. We've got Democrats. We have black. We have white. We have Mexican. We have Asian American. We have all these different people, and we all get together. Why? Because we see ourselves as one in Christ. We see ourselves belonging to God and to each other. In spite of the differences, there is more that unites us than divides us when we have Christ. That's how it's supposed to be. The problem is we allow so many things to put themselves up over those things. This new humanity is united to the Father through the Son by the Spirit, and it unites us all. In all its complexity, all are united in this one redemptive story. God is redeeming the world to himself, bringing us into this family. Why? Because he loved us and brought us in. And and that's the genius of Jesus, bringing it down to the lowest denominator, you and your neighbor. He subverts all systems, political structures, and makes it between person 
and person. That's what Jesus does. Makes it between a person and a person, a human being who Christ died for and you who Christ died for. And now that is where we have to meet. That's where the conversation begins. That's where we get to show this love and what it looks like. This is my neighbor who happens to be from Mexico and undocumented. This is my neighbor who happens to be a person of different ethnicity. This is my neighbor who lives across the street from me. We are being invited into this relationship that God has had with the Son through the Spirit and now is dealing with us. But growth is uncomfortable, right? Have any of you gone through growing pains? I never did. Um, Still waiting, right? You know, I know that I saw... uh, Randy's son, Judah, I hadn't seen him in like two weeks, and he grew like six inches in two weeks. It's like a dream of mine, right? He just, he just grew all of a sudden, and I think, oh, man, did like your legs hurt or anything? He's no, I'm okay. It's like that growth causes pain. And, and for us to move into places that are uncomfortable, it's going to cause friction. It's going to cause tension. It's going to be uncomfortable for us to move into conversations with people you disagree with, to have that kind of dialogue, to show that respect, to not be autonomous, to to recognize that you are closer related to them than you realize, and you need to work things out. It's difficult, and it's going to be difficult. That's part of growing. This is the example of Christ because it breaks down that hold of the autonomy. It creates identity in the plurality of who we are in him and of his kingdom. You see, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is the vision that began with Christ. This is playing out. This is what is being revealed. And we're going to go through the book of Revelation in March, the end of March. Just throw that out there. You see, this is John's vision of what is happening. Every nation before the throne of God clothed in white, Is this your vision? Or is your vision more secluded? This is what the kingdom of heaven breaking in looks like. And it's seen when we simply walk across the street and talk to our neighbor. When we break down those walls that have been built up by ethnicity, by political persuasion by, you name those things, it simply takes walking across the street and recognizing that this is God's vision to see the entire world, every tongue, every tribe before the throne cleansed by what Christ has done before us. 
And so Paul goes on in Romans chapter 12 and gives us five things that we can do. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, Christ is rescuing us from our own cultural captivity. We need to renew our minds from the pattern of this world, from this autonomy. See, many of us are more committed to a culture than we are to Christ. We're we're committed to our way of thinking than we are to Christ's way of thinking. And we see ourselves as our nationality before we see ourselves as a follower of Christ. My heritage is very important to me. That's great. Is it more important to you than you belonging to Christ and what he wants for you? Because it's been said, and I can't find out who said it originally, but culture eats religion for breakfast, and it's true. Culture will shape the religious mindscape and it dominates. And what's subversive is this Christ who comes in and says, I want to make you all neighbors. I want you to all be brothers. You are 99.5% the same, no matter what you look like. You don't understand how close you are. I want you to see yourself as your brother's keeper. And he undermines this cultural captivity that is so strong. Paul's saying that this needs to change. This mindset needs to change. Racism, as I said, has led to the slaughter of millions and millions of people. It has led to so many frictions in our own country as well as in the world. My story becomes the story of my people. It becomes the people that I identify with that become, in a sense, my idol, right? This is my group of people. This is who I belong to. This becomes my sense of worship. This becomes my autonomy. This is where I plant my flag. This is where I take my stand. And Paul is saying we need to renew our mind and not be conformed to the world and all those patterns that it places to try and bring an identity that's other than Christ. Because that is the identity that matters if we call ourselves Christians, right? Verse 3 of Romans 12, he goes on and he says, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ. We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This is the second point. The first is being transformed by the way we think, being metamorphosed, a a, a transition that changes us. The next is to humbly respect the sacredness of the others. 
that we are united to. Humbly respect the sacredness of others puts us all in the same boat. But how easy is it to look down on other people because of, name it, right? We, we, we try and, you know, oh, yeah, I don't look down. Everyone's the same. Really? Do you see everybody in the world on the same playing field? Everyone is in your boat. Do you humbly see others as more important than you, even if they're from a different country? Or is it all about us? Again, that autonomy. Now, I'm not trying to belittle countries. I am trying to elevate humanity. I'm not trying to say one country is better than another country. The United States is much better than many other countries, but the people of those other countries are as good as me, are as good as you, and have the same right to be respected as any of us. And it is that autonomy that we are good, they are bad, that starts to put a whole category of people in a place that we start looking down upon whole nations, not realizing those nations are people. They're your brother. They're your neighbor who you're supposed to be caring for. And if that's making you feel uncomfortable... Think of how comfortable I feel standing up here telling you that. (laughs) Verse 9, he says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. There it is again. Never Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need Practice hospitality. I would say we are to love sincerely. We are to love Christ and others. We are to practice hospitality. We are to show this kind of gracious attitude towards people. It's difficult to receive hospitality. Sometimes it's almost more difficult for me to receive hospitality than it is to give it. Right? Because if we're giving hospitality, I can invite you over to my house. I know my wife will cook dinner, and I know it'll be something I like, right? Because I don't cook. Anyway, but I have the home court advantage, right? This is someplace where I'm comfortable. But if I got to go to your house, like some of the times where we've gone to people's houses in Haiti, and they serve us food, and you look at the food, and you're thinking, I'm not sure what that is. And it's swimming a little bit in some water that I don't know if I want to drink. It makes me uncomfortable, right? But I want to be gracious and I want to be safe. And so you have to be a little bit diplomatic in how you deal with things. I'll eat the rice. I'm going to leave the soup stuff alone, right? Even the rice, sometimes you wonder. But... You see, we have to be able to receive hospitality as well as give it. We have to be in a place where we aren't thinking of ourselves more important than someone else. 
You know, the, the biggest mistake is to go to another country and try to make that country like your country and disregard all their culture and disregard how they see things, disregard their way of living just because you want it to be like yours. Is that respecting others? But we do that. We don't even realize it. Well, this is how it works for us. Well, it might not work in another culture, a very agrarian culture that's not, you know, industrialized. They're going to have a hard time doing the same things that we do. And do we really need more plastic, right? Those kinds of things. It's like we can think things through and allow these people to kind of grow in their own place. Verse 14, jumping down. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I mean, these words are just powerful. They, they really do strike at us. Bless, don't curse. What would happen if every time there was an opposition to you, you blessed it instead of cursed it? What would happen if we were the people who did that? That blessed instead of cursed? that we went against what everyone else is doing to just continue the rhetoric. We're right, you're wrong, we're right, you're wrong. You know what? I think you're wrong, but I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be a support for you. I'm going to hold you up as more important than myself, even though I disagree with you completely. Can you do that? Or are you too proud to hold on to your autonomy that I need to be right and I need to prove you wrong? Why? What do you gain by proving yourself right and someone wrong if you keep the distance between you? If you keep the friction between you, if you are going to kill your brother in the process, what good is it? You'll maintain your autonomy, but you'll divide what is supposed to be joined together. Do everything you can to contribute to the flourishing peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. In verse 18, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let me repeat that again, okay? Here's what scripture says. If it is possible... As much depends on you, live at peace with the people you agree with. With everyone. With everyone. I know it's hard. We aren't being called to something simple. We're called to family. Anyone know that family is not simple? Oh, my God. Gosh, right? I could tell you stories. No, you just come to my house. You can hear our stories, right? (laughs) Family is not simple, but it's family. It is there. And when I fall, someone is there to pick me up. Why? Because they're my family. As much as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Why? You are trying to fulfill what God is desiring, and that is one humanity. To do that, you have to see others more important than yourself. You have to see them 
in a way and esteem them, see them and bless them, even though you disagree with them. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome by being the good. There is a lot of evil in this world. The only way that evil is going to be overcome is if we overcome it with good. If we be the good that people need to see because we need an example, right? We need to see what it looks like. It's so funny watching my grandson because he's starting to mimic everybody, right? He mimics his older sisters. He mimics his dad. He mimics the way we talk. He mimics the TV and cartoons that he watches. He sees, and it's an example. If you and I become an example of good, the world will begin to mimic it. And what we are trying to do is be the example that Jesus was for us. And that's all we're doing is trying to live in this example. Here was Christ who had all power, who had all authority and became the servant of all. Here is someone who if anyone deserved the right to be autonomous and have it all together, it was him. And yet he gave himself away. Here was someone who could have judged And instead, he says, I don't come to condemn the world. I come so that the world might be saved. If Jesus didn't come to judge the world, why do we think we get to? Just a question. He didn't come to judge the world. Yeah, but I can because I know my Bible. (laughs) Christ didn't come to condemn but that the world through him might be saved. How is it saved through him? By him giving of himself. What is our example to give of ourselves? See, it's time we stop trying to be like Cain and prove ourselves right. My offering was better. Abel didn't do nothing. He just sacrificed an animal. That didn't take any effort. Me, I took the grain. I took the fruit. I grew that up from little sprouts. I watered it when it was just a seed. I can prove to you why my sacrifice was better than him. But God says, if you do well, won't you be accepted? What wasn't well was what's in his heart. And so many times that's what needs to change is what's in our heart first. Where we need to say, you know what? It's not about the offering. It's about me, God. It's not about all these things that I think are right and I have to use to prove myself. It's really about how I see myself alone and autonomous. It's how I am putting myself in place and positioning myself to be right and everyone else wrong. And I need to change that. I don't want to be conformed to this world standard where everyone wants to be right. I need to be conformed to your standard. And I'm going to overcome evil by being the Because people are dying to see good. And I have seen it on the cross. And it has given its life for me. I am to do the same. I am to be my brother's keeper. We all are. If we name Christ as ours. And our brother... 
is everyone that we see. Everyone who we can extend the love of Christ to. God is not a respecter of persons. And neither should we be. Let's pray. Lord, I wonder how do we change a culture? How do we change society? How do we change the world? I wonder what does it take to bring about a kind of change that could stop the violence that we see taking place in so many areas and in so many ways. How can we bring about a change that will have a lasting effect that reaches far beyond our own life? And Lord, sometimes it just seems too big to even go there, too big to even imagine But Lord, I I know that it begins with my neighbor. It, It begins with my brother. It begins with the person who is near to me, who I have relationship with. It begins where we are. And Lord, you took 12 people and one even left and betrayed you. So there was actually only 11. And through that 11 and friends that they had, You changed the world as we know it. Lord, there is more than 11 here. What would happen if we did like they did? What if we actually allowed you to change our lives, to to open our mindset, to be more than about ourselves, to, to extend our love, our hospitality to others? That we would make neighbors, our brothers, that we would take strangers and make them family, that people would know we belong to you because of how we love them. Lord, that is in our grasp, and it might only make a small ripple in this huge ocean, but God, that's where we'll start. That's where we can begin. And so I pray that you would move each of us to get outside of our comfort zones, to extend hospitality to those who we have been in opposition with, to to show kindness instead of retaliation, to not deal evil for evil, but to do good. Lord, may we be the good that this world sees and may they see you because of it. That people would see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. May you renew your mind with the mind of Christ, not allow the mentality of Cain to dominate our way of thinking, and may you not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. 
You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.